Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Aya Rodriguez, and we are back for another episode of Truth Serum. Thank you so much for all the support that you guys have been given, um, ladies, everybody. Um, and I just want to say thank you for sharing the content and um, just letting people know that we are here having conversations with people of color about issues of people of color, and everyone is listening, not just people of color. So I just want to say thank you for that. So please continue to share, like, um, you know, Keep doing what you're doing. The love is definitely received and appreciated. Um, today, we're having a special conversation with my friend. I, I, I don't use the word friend a lot in Hollywood because a lot of times these people are not your friends. But one of the most authentic people that I've met throughout my journey, um, specifically with They Ready, and a powerhouse, a woman who is getting things done in a male-dominated field and just continuously showing up and making it happen. You know her from the Breakfast Club. I know her from just in funny text messages. <laughs> Say what's up to Angela Yee. What's up, mama? Hey, Ida, I love that introduction. You're right, it's hard to just call people a friend. So I do appreciate that. And I appreciate you and how authentic you are also. Thank you, I appreciate that. I, I really, um, you know, people in Hollywood are really good to be friends when people are ascending. But then you, when you, when things happen and you have a fall and then you look around and things get really empty, <laughs> you're like, where is everybody now? So for, you know, you, Shantae and I both gravitated towards you because we found, found this genuine spirit from you. And we were like, oh, she's like, really like that. That's not just what you see. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And, you know, when I met you guys, first of all, I just love people that have great personalities and also are intelligent. And so, and funny, like being, I like to laugh. And so I think when you have, when you can combine all of those things in a person, I automatically will gravitate towards you. And then I do feel what you're saying. Like there's people that want to try to be your friend because they feel like, oh, this is about to happen. This is about to happen. And I'm around so many people and there's not a lot of people that I feel like I actually really like them. Like I would hang with them. And so I definitely felt like that and feel like that about you. And when I was at Dave Chappelle's uh, comedy uh, thing that he's doing his summer camp, I saw Tiffany Haddish and she actually came up to me and was like, you know, Ida was like, oh, Angela's so cool. She acts just like you. She's just real genuine. And I thought that was nice that when people talk about you and what they say to other people behind your back. Oh you know, yeah, yeah. Oh no, you know that that's my biggest issue with people is that they don't, they don't expect me to be truthful with them. <laughs> and I'm like, if I can't say it to you, I won't say it about you. And if you want to try me, you test me and you'll see. But I just think, you know, I think life is too short to be going around being petty. Um, right. You're We're trying to make things happen. You are making things happen. You know, you are inspiring to women. Like I, I called you to get real estate advice because I was like, I want to get in this game because. <laughs> <laughs> but I want people to know. Um, you're not just a personality on the breakfast club. You know, you've worked for a long time. You've created a path for yourself. And what we do here is like, we like to let people tell their own story about how this all came about, where you came from, you know, your, your origin and, and how you ended up here because people just think you just show up overnight. Right. Well, it's been a super long journey. I've been doing radio and I just was saying this downstairs for 16 years now. Wow. I know that's a long time. And when I was younger, I always had like a different, I never kept a job for more than like two years. 
So that was always like my max. So when I went to go start in radio at Sirius and I worked there and I surpassed that two year mark, I was like, oh, it looks like I got a career now, you know? So, <laughs> but before that, I always thought I would be a writer. Like I went to Wesleyan University, I majored in English and I always would just like read a lot, write a lot. And that was what I was passionate about, but I couldn't figure out at first how to really make money doing that. And I kind of fell into the music business. You know, I started working at Wu-Tang through a person that I'm still friends with to this day. He was like, oh, my people at Wu-Tang are looking for somebody. And I ended up working there. And then I went to work for D'Angelo. Then I ended up working for Nile Rogers distribution label. So I just became like this, you know, marketing person. And that was kind of my field, my area of expertise. And then I started working in fashion and working at different clothing lines and kind of freelancing and having my own business. But then I had the opportunity to work at Sirius thanks to Eminem's manager, Paul Rosenberg. And so, you know, I auditioned for the job. I ended up getting hired full time after an interview with Jay-Z that went really well and, you know, stayed there for six years before I got recruited to go to Power 105 to the Breakfast Club. So you you so it's so interesting because all of those things show up in, in who you are today. You have you're very well versed in music. You're very fashionable. You always got on. I'm a sneakerhead, so I'm all, every time I go to your Instagram page, I go straight to your feet. I'm like, what do <laughs> you got on today? I love um, the fact that when we were coming up, they would always tell us we could only do one thing: stay in one box. But now we are showing that you know our excellence can show up in many different facets, and all of those things are a combination of what makes us who we are. And and so when you have these interviews and you can actually, you have context and background and you know who you're talking to, everybody loves you too. So how does it feel to be, uh, you know, the force that you are being a woman in, in radio? Um, I think, well, first of all, it's funny that you say everybody loves you because I feel like so many people hate on me all the time. So yeah. I... So that's good because people will tell me that. Be like, no, everybody likes you. I'm like, nah, you don't see what I see. <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate it. And, you know, I think you get to a point where you've been achieved a certain level of success. So the way I look at it, I wouldn't be here and be where I'm at for as long as I've been doing it if I wasn't somewhat decent at my job. So, you know, fortunately for me, I feel like I have a great foundation and so I'm comfortable in the space that I'm in. When I first started radio, a funny story, I worked with Cypher Sounds. And before they hired me, they were like auditioning different people. Also, I was in the audition process myself. And I remember he brought in another woman who was on the radio on another station. And he didn't tell me he was going to do it. And she was a, a bigger personality than I was. I wasn't even a personality. And he was uh, asking the listeners, like, who do you like better? Who do you like better? And I thought it was, I was so mad at him for doing that because I was like, first of all, you're like pitting two women against each other. It's mad awkward. She's my friend. And she also has way more experience than I do in this space. So I do feel like I was fortunate to come up in a time when social media wasn't so prevalent. So I was able to make my mistakes, able to get better, able to build up my confidence able to build up a proper exterior because if I hadn't, I don't know if I could have survived in this day and age. Yeah, I think you would have. I think you you just 
endure and prove that. I, I just think the cream always rises to the top. So it doesn't matter what's happening around us. People who actually have talent are always going to show up. Um, I did want to, you know, I don't tiptoe. I wanted to talk to you about your August Alcina interview, but from the perspective of journalism, like I don't want to get into the mess because I'm sure everybody's like, oh, I don't, I personally don't enjoy people's traumas. So I don't like to capitalize on that, but I do, I did see you. And one thing that I felt about that interview is when people are now, when you see people interviewing people, they're looking for the soundbite, looking for right. the right? And you employed a certain level of humanity with August, which allowed him to open himself up. And so I just wanted to talk about your process when you do that, because there's an ease to people when they, when you're being, they're in, being interviewed by you because you're not insightful and you're not, you're not trying to, you're insightful. You're not trying to incite. So I just, I was like, I want, I really wanted to know what was going on with you when you were doing the interview, because you got him to really give, give a lot of himself. Well, first thing I would say is to make sure that if someone's coming on to promote something specific, which was his album that was out, make sure you listen to the album. You know, right. I've seen so many people and that's like 101. But, you know, some people don't even do that. Like if you come on somewhere and they haven't even watched your stand up or, you know, looked at your Instagram page or done any research on you. That doesn't feel good. And so it makes it harder to open up when someone's interviewing you and they don't know anything about you. And so for myself, I, you know, I'm August and I are friends and I did his first ever um, album release party when he first came out. And he did my first ever episode of Lip Service when I reintroduced the podcast. And so we have a history with each other. So I think that also is something that makes people feel comfortable. But I, and the album's long, like, listen, I listened to the whole album, like picked out what my favorite songs were, lived with it for a few days. I watched this documentary and he had a five part documentary series on YouTube. And I made sure I watched the whole thing. And I took like notes of things I wanted to make sure that I brought up. And it's interesting because when I did the interview, when I asked certain questions, I try to make sure I put it in context because I never assume that people who are listening or watching have done that research. They might watch the interview and go back and want to do that. So even when I asked the question about Jada, I was like, okay, you had an episode, what is love on your documentary? And you know, you've never really been romantically tied to anybody that you've discussed openly. And you did this one song and I try to lay everything out so that people who are listening can also get the context of where this question is coming from because people will just say you're messy, but it's like, no, this is actually coming from somewhere. This isn't just me making something up or having some inside information. And another thing that I do is I don't like to bring up things that are really like a personal secret. If you tell me something behind the scenes and it's just a conversation between me and you or somebody close to you tells me something, I won't bring it up in an interview because I don't feel it's appropriate. But if it's something that's on the blogs that's being addressed, then I feel like that is fair game. And so I try to abide by those rules because I don't ever want people to feel uncomfortable around me too. Like if I'm in a space where things are happening and they're like, oh, we can't do that in front of her because she's gonna go on the radio and report it. I never want to be that person. So I just think it's a combination of research and also, um, you know, just using your own 
gauge on what is appropriate to talk about and what isn't. And then listening. Sometimes when people interview, they do these interviews and they're just thinking about what's my next question about to be. You really have to listen because you don't know where the conversation can go. And that goes along with research too. If I know a lot about you and you take the conversation somewhere else, I'm not thrown off because I have no idea what you're talking about because I only have my set questions. I already feel like this can be a conversation because I've done my research. That, and and that's what you saw, right? When you saw the interview, you were like, there's, first of all, you could tell that there was history, that, but there was compassion, you know, because you don't ever feel like that, you know, how some people, you can just feel that they're fishing and they're yeah. just trying to go viral and they want to, so you, it, would, it just felt like an organic conversation between two human beings and just taking into consideration that people, even the famous people are humans and they have mm -hmm. issues. And we, we shouldn't be, you know, pouncing on people when they're down. You have had, um, you have your own, you know, uh, history of your own interviews that are, you know, momentous that people talk about. I wanted to ask you, because today I, I really wanted to make sure that we, we talked about the you being a woman in this game, because it's very important that you get demonized for things that men are applauded for as women in mm -hmm. these types of fields. How many people came after you for that interview with August? Did they call you messy? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I mean, some people, if you watch the whole interview, I think people were like, that was an amazing interview. You know, everybody's taking these two or three minutes. But there were people like, oh, girl, you so messy. You this, you that. And it's like, dude, I'm doing my job. Like, this isn't anything that if you know August and pay attention to what goes on in his life, you would see there were pictures of them together. People had those questions. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Either you ask the question and some people will say you're messy or you don't ask the question and some people will say you're whack for not asking the question. Right. And at the end of the day, it is something that everybody wanted to know about, clearly, or else people wouldn't have picked it up. And then, you know, they got their response on Red Table Talk. So I also feel like it wasn't like he was lying. People were also trying to say at first that he was a liar and he was making this whole thing up. And even for the reason why he did the interview, now I see that he's like explaining himself. You know, the truth is that he said people looked at him like he was pursuing a married woman and he didn't like the narrative that was out there about him. And there were opportunities that he wasn't able to get because of that narrative. And he wanted to be able to clear the slate. And he goes into this whole explanation about his sister dying and her, his sister being scared of really living her life to the fullest and how he wanted to live in his truth. And if that's something I feel like he needed to get off his chest and he gave them the respect of giving them a heads up before the interview even dropped, he sent them the clip and he sent it to me too and was like, I sent them, this is what I sent them so that they would know what was about to happen so they're not blindsided and caught off guard, so. That's um, that's pretty honorable. Um, mm -hmm. So again, I don't wanna make this about August Alsina because August Alsina got his, got what he got. <laughs> <laughs> and he trended. But I was, I just wanted to point that out because I don't know if you've seen what happened to um, AOC in the last couple of days where she needed to make the speech. Yeah. And so when we talked about, uh, we talk about you and I work in very male dominated spaces. Mm -hmm. so radio is very male dominated. Comedy is very Comedy, male -dominated. For sure. Yeah. And, it, and, and people don't understand that those kinds of things are part of our everyday things that we just learn to just brush off and keep going. Right. So you see a Congresswoman being called a fucking bitch. Mm -hmm. Whether you like her, her politics or not, that's not okay. Right. So I, I thought of, I think about, you know, you waking up every day 
and you show up at the breakfast club and the attitude towards you and the attitudes towards Charlemagne and the attitude towards envy, they're very different. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what's employed towards you is because you are a woman. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I and I think people also like they'll get mad at me for something that one of them says, like it's my fault and I didn't do my part. And I feel like every day I have discussions where I'm always like pushing back on things. And and then if I do push back, people get mad at me. Oh, she can't even take a joke. She's ruining everything. It's like no matter what, you can't win. People will be like either, oh, she's too sensitive or she's always uh, going against them. Why not just let them say their funny things that they want to say you're you know you spoil everything and then people are like oh you're not standing up for women it's like no matter what you do you can't win and you know it's just not an easy space to be in it's not an easy space to be in you know as a woman like being the only woman in the room where things can happen and men can understand certain things you know from a woman's point of view and so i'll try to explain it but no one is there to like explain it with me it's just me yeah uh, you know by myself so it's kind of hard when you don't have like that backup all the time. And I know in comedy, you have to feel the same way because, you know, that is a, and, and some of the jokes, and it's hard because like, there's jokes that guys will make that are so misogynistic and you're like, okay, but it's comedy. So the reasoning is, well, comedy, you shouldn't have to filter yourself if something is funny. So, you know, I don't know how you deal with that. I mean, I deal with it, you know, sometimes I deal with it as best as I can. And sometimes I lash out. Like, I don't like to respond to people on social media, but sometimes I feel like I have to. <laughs> sometimes right. I feel like some people just, they get too big for their britches. They think that just because they're on social media, they're not accountable for what they say. And so, you know, it just gets old. Um, I was thinking about you because in the midst of all of the things that have been happening socially, two things back to back of are of significance to you because you're biracial, bicultural. Mm -hmm. And so first we start with the coronavirus and this very anti-Asian sentiment in America. Mm -hmm. And then we we the George Floyd things happen happens and then we get into the, you know, the anti-blackness that's always been here that all of a sudden uh, people are discovering and we've been living with our whole lives. I was just wanted to know, you know, how you where where are you with this right now? Because I know that I've we've had conversations about the way Asian people are treated in America, and you know, mm -hmm. there there's a lot of um, if you ain't white in America, you catch it. So, right. you know, I was thinking about you and wanted to know how you felt about that, and 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 what you had to say about that being that you have both of those uh, cultural realities that are a part of who you are. You know, it's funny because I've seen like a few people on social media being like, you're not black. And I'm like, OK, I don't even respond to stuff like that because that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Like my mom is black. My mom's whole side of the family is black. I've grown up as a black girl, you know, and I've never had that question my whole entire life until when people try to come for you now. They'd be like, well, you're not black or you're not black enough or you don't do anything for the black community. And. I just think it's ridiculous. Like everything, I feel like everything I do is for black people and black women in particular. You know, I have my book club that I do. I have my running club. All that is focused on really black women, like the, where I do it, who I target, who the authors are that I invite to come to the book club. Even me starting the running club, that was for me to, you know, have people who normally might not get up and exercise, people who look like me, because I wasn't doing it. 
you know, at first and to encourage people to get out there and move and even doing a juice bar in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy and working with the New York Public Library. You know, these are things and, you know, being on the board for the American Foundation for the University of the West Indies. And I think a lot of times I don't really broadcast all the things that I'm doing and talk about it too much because I don't, I don't know. I think sometimes we feel like we're uh, bragging or something or people will think that oh my God, okay, enough, enough. But it is important sometimes to let people know what it is that you do in the community because they just might not know. And so that bothers me that people would question that because I am also half Chinese and my last name is Yi and my dad is Chinese. And so, but the Chinese side of my family when I was younger, I didn't spend, I saw them like on holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it's not like I ever grew up thinking I was a Chinese kid. Like, <laughs> that, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I grew up in Flatbush. I went to a school where the whole school was black, you know, growing up until I went to private school in seventh grade. So it was just never something that was even an issue when I was younger. And so for myself, I get that I feel that the Asian community can be very racist toward black people for sure. I've experienced it in my own family. And so it's hard for me to defend certain things, but then I also feel like my grandparents who are from China, right? The images that they would see of what black people were like, because it's not like there's a lot of, you know, there were a lot of black people living in China from what we have in our own, you know, um, culture and what you see on TV and in whatever in the news and in the media, it doesn't paint black people. It didn't paint black people in a positive light. And so now it's so important for us to have those images and have that media and have those movies and representations so people can see how positive it, that you know black people really are and so that's important and then i think the other issue is businesses in black communities and you know nail salons and hair places and all of that like people don't like the way that asian people come in the community make money off the black community and don't give back in the way that they should or don't treat their customers fairly and so I think that's an issue, but I also feel like this. I don't like seeing any person targeted just because of their race. So when people are on the train minding their business and just because you're Asian and coronavirus is happening, somebody punches you in the face or beats you up, I have a problem with that too, you know, because you don't know that person as an individual and you're targeting them for no reason other than the fact of what their race is. And so I think that's disgusting. And I think that the main thing is that there's a lot of things that we can all come together and have in common with each other and not be so against each other. And in America, white people definitely try to divide us and paint these narratives. And so it's really important for us. We are so much stronger if we can find these common grounds to come together. So it's been difficult. And I understand why, because I see black people like, um, and oh, and when I say black people, yes, I'm a black person too. I see black people will say things on social media like, who cares? This has been happening to black people forever. So that's what you get, you know? And I don't think that's the right attitude to have. And even if I just look at what just happened with Nick Cannon, where he said things that were anti-Semitic and then he had to learn about the community because obviously there was a lot of backlash for him, you know, when it came to that, it is important for us to learn about other communities and other uh, people outside of what we're accustomed to or who we know. So. You know, we don't want to um, enforce different stereotypes either. And we don't want to let Donald Trump be the one that makes everybody feel like Asian people are bringing diseases here and Asian people are this and Asian people are that. Like, we can't let that happen either. 
it's it's Asian people's term, right? Because the swine flu was the Mexicans, Ebola was the Africans. It's always ethnic people, right? Yeah, right. Like, he got because you know if you notice he had beef with China before coronavirus happened, and then poof, right? Coronavirus comes about, and now we're you know an Asian person ate a bat. When people in Florida eat bats all the time they have a restaurant where they have a delicacy called the fruity bats and they eat they eat sweet bats is what that's they something but you know what i thought that um i thought it was like a bat dropping i didn't know they really ate bats yeah. I thought that's what they the were. stories are different so someone right. we don't even know where it came from then they said it was made in a lab and then who knows yeah. Yeah, you just know you just got to protect yourself because you know they're capable of doing anything to try to get rid of us. And if they don't, you don't think they're trying to get rid of us, you have lost your mind because right. they're they trying to send your kids to school. They're trying to send the old people to get sick. Um, so what, what I was going to ask you um, about was you have a show called Lip Service. And I think that that show is very important when it comes to women, um, Black women in particular, talking about issues of sex because of the stigma with, uh, you know, for me, when I did the show, I was all uptight and I was like, I ain't never really talked about sex publicly. I, I, my uptightness is, 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 you know, something that I'm dealing with now because we're not free when it comes to that. And so um, what, tell me about that show and how it came about. Like, because you are very vocal about issues that have to do with sex and very open about your sexuality and your relationships. And I think it's pretty freeing for women of color because we don't have that. That's exactly why I did it, just for the reason that you said. And this all started because I have a lot of girlfriends and we talk about those things. And so I just thought it was funny that when I was at Sirius, right, this is where I started it. The guys that I was on the show with, once again, I'm the only girl in the room. They really didn't understand a lot about women and what we discuss. And they had this perception of what a good woman was supposed to be like. And I was like... It really started because of this. I was like, look, the receptionist, the doctor, the, you know, your mom, whoever, they've had sex and they've had all different kinds of sexual experiences. It's not a taboo thing. And so I wanted to show them that the average women, like we engage in these activities and I wanted people to have a space where they felt comfortable to talk about whatever they wanted to talk about and not be judged. And so that's really how the show started. It started off as a segment really on my show on Sirius. Mm -hmm. And that's when it was Cypher Sound Show. And then I had my own segment once a week. And then the segment got so popular, they actually asked me to do my own show at Sirius based off of that segment. And that's how lip service really started. And what I started doing was inviting women that guys would see in these like King Magazine, Smooth Magazine, all of those black men's magazine, but they had no idea what these women's personalities were like. So you like how she looks, but you don't know anything about her personality. So I wanted these women to have the opportunity to have a platform to come on and like, you know, show who they really are and answer some questions and show their intelligence and their ambitions and what they have going on in their lives, not just what they look like. And also show they were fun. And yeah. so a lot of the girls like Amber Rose came on there before she dated Kanye. And that was the only interview she had ever done. And so I remember they would always hit me up when she started dating Kanye just to ask like, hey, can we um, you know, get some clearance to use this video? Because it was a big deal for them back then. And so there's a lot of women who early on that might have gone on to become actors or whatever that ended up doing lip service and then moving on to do other things. But we had Remy Ma on, you know, back then. And it was just a really fun show. And it was a way for women to also educate guys because, you know, guys are kind of clueless sometimes when it comes to doing things like oral sex. And so I promise you, so many guys told me they learned how to do oral sex just from listening to lip service. So I feel like 
if anything, my job is done in that respect. <laughs> you know, when I did the show, I, I was on the show with Stephanie and I was like, this girl looked perfect in real life. So I was just, I was sitting next to her and I was like, wow, she's like, she's beautiful. It was, it felt uh, like a, you know, like you had a barbecue and you sitting with your girls and you just having an authentic yeah. conversation. Cause I do so many podcasts and I, at that time when I was doing press for the special, I was doing press all the time. But there I felt like, I remember being so uptight when I sat down and then I just finally was like, <sighs> and I just felt, I forgot that you were, it was being recorded. It just was a, a much needed conversation as a woman. I was nervous. I was like, is Ida going to be okay with this? You know? <laughs> No, it was because, you know, what's funny is that um, we need to loosen up and we need to be able to have conversations like this because the problem is that we don't and we let other people own our sexuality and tell us who we're, we're supposed to be. And what, you guys went on tour. People love yeah. it. Yeah, we did our first ever nationwide tour with Live Nation. So that was really dope. And it was an experience because I was still doing the morning show. So we were traveling from city to city. And so we would have the show at night and then we would get up in the morning and do them. I would get up and do the morning show. And then we would travel to the next city right after that. And then we have another show that night. And then I would get up and do my morning show. And I promise you, I will never do that like that again. Like in the future, it'll just be on the weekends. I cannot do that. I was so burnt out after that. I was like, oh, this is too much, <laughs> you know, for me. Which markets do you think were the most explosive with that tour? Which, where did you feel like that people were like the most receptive? Chicago for sure. They went crazy in Chicago. They were like standing up yelling to um, our guests on the stage. G Herbo was there. One woman was like going off on him. I was like, what is going on? But it was funny. You know what I mean? And then um, in Detroit, Detroit was sold out. Detroit was crazy. And so that was a really good show for us. And Houston was really good. Also, Atlanta was pretty dope. So yeah, it was a, you know, it was a good experience. And I learned a lot. LA was good. I was on the road because I was I wanted to go to that show and I had because it was at the it was at the will turn right it was at the will turn uh, I think they they ended up moving it but I forget the name of the theater they moved it to but we had some interesting guests Naeem Lin was on you know he's pretty funny and um, Damon Dash was on Gilbert Arenas was on that one Dame is hilarious Dame went to see Kanye so I much, much respect for to him and Dave. So did Dave, yeah. They went to go see about him. Um, I met I met Damon Zash. She's probably one of the most dynamic people I've ever met. We're one of the most eccentric personalities. Like, you know, like his conversation when he was talking about supermodels and art and all this stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm trying to tell my, just I just want to tell my jokes. <laughs> trying to do my job. <laughs> yeah. uh, Adriana Lima is beautiful, but uh, we over here doing this. But it was just funny because he's so, he's, his palette is so it is so stuck in so many different places. You are, when you are on on the Breakfast Club, what are what have been some of your favorite interviews on the show? There are some things I want to ask you because um, I know people want to know when you when you guys interviewed Birdman and he was the the infamous put some respect on my name. <laughs> did you have that? Did you feel fear in that moment? I was just confused because oh, you know, asked to be on the show. So I was confused, like, I thought you wanted to be here. And then I never had an issue with Birdman. So right. as a matter of fact, I had been speaking to him prior to that because I was managing Jay Electronica, Jay Electronica from New Orleans. And 
me and Birdman have been having conversations about him possibly signing Jay Electronica. So we never, I'm like, I also hosted, you know, Chanel from Young Money's album listening party and he was there. So I always have shown him respect. Like we've, you know, had a decent, like, hey, how you doing? Like we've spoken, we know each other. So when he came in there and acted that way, I was very confused, like what just happened? I understand that he had an issue with Charlemagne because you know, of things that he was saying about him on the radio and he didn't like the jokes, you know, that Charlamagne would make about him and Lil Wayne. And so I get that, but, you know, I think he said that when he got there, he just got mad when he saw it. But I, I was like, that just was a poor way to handle it. Did you guys speak after? Have you spoken after? I have not spoken to him, okay. you know, at all. But for me, I'm the type of person, like, I'm just, all right, well, that didn't work out. No hard feelings, you know, do your thing, but I just mind my business. I don't really need anything from anybody, so I'm okay with it. And um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've had people reach out to me though on behalf of him just to, you know, try to make sure everything was cool, but it wasn't the biggest deal in the world to me. If anything, it just was a viral moment. You right, know? that's what people don't understand. They don't have context. To you, it's Wednesday, another day of work. And then right. people take a small clip and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. it comes up. Because the internet, you know, the internet one day, uh, uh, August Alsina is trending and the next day the Olive Garden is trending. Like right. you, you don't know what's, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, people who just, you know, they don't, have, if people are home, they don't have anything to do. So now more than ever, they'll be like, we're going to make the word Tuesday trend and they'll right. make the word Tuesday trend. And then, you know what, and what bothered me about that interview and they, you saw it, is that I had like did all this prep and I was like excited to get these questions off. And then I was like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it's so funny because what you went to do backfired because then you became a bigger joke because now the internet jumped in. So now right. that became a meme and nobody was like, you know what, Birdman really showed them. They were like, yo, look at Birdman. You know, it was just, it's unfortunate how the internet will betray you, you know, like. But you know, some people would look at that as like, that was better than even doing an interview because it went so viral. Yeah. And, you know, spawned so many different phrases that are forever now part of culture. And so, you know, and, and I think some people do seek out like viral moments that are big, like people will really try to do that. I've seen people do that in interviews where they'll try to antagonize the guests because they want to have a moment. And that's never something that I'll do. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't, sometimes you can get, you know, slapped or punched, you know, like it could be, it can end very well for, very, not very well for some people because mm -hmm. you, you're dealing with people and all of their issues, right? Egos. Yeah, egos. So I want to know, like, what are some of your best interviews, like some of your most fun, mo your your moments on The Breakfast Club that you like really look back and say, I love these these interviews. Um, I'm trying to think who are some of my, I mean, I enjoy when 50 Cent comes up there. I think he's pretty entertaining. <laughs> Jay-Z, you know, that's always big whenever Jay-Z is on the show. Um, and so I feel like he, he, he always does a great insightful interview and people like to hear him, but his interviews never sound the same either. You know, you always get something new and different from that. Um, sometimes the interviews I like best though are also the ones without the biggest celebrities either. Like sometimes you can have such a great conversation with somebody that you didn't even anticipate that that would happen. And you're like, oh, wow, that was really dope. Um, listen, when Tiffany came, came up for the first time, that was a great interview, I thought, because a lot of people didn't know about her history and her background. 
And, you know, she came on there and she really killed it. And I think that was great um, as well. Obviously, Dave Chappelle, when he came on, I never thought Dave Chappelle would come on The Breakfast Club. Um, I like comedians a lot because I'm naming like all comedians. Well, you guys, you guys give a platform to comedians where a lot of radio stations don't unless you're performing in that market. You know, I was as a Puerto Rican woman able to come and promote my special on The Breakfast Club when a lot of the even Latin outlets wouldn't even get me. Angie Martinez and The Breakfast Club showed me love. Which is crazy to me because I was so happy to have you up there because I had watched the special and I was like, yay. <laughs> and I just yeah. love Donnell you Rollins is on time too. You and Donnell Rollins. So what's going on with you and Donnell Rollins? Because you and Donnell Rollins have this uh, this relationship that is so fun. He adores you, uh, but you guys, you guys are really funny online. You know what? Donnell and I have known each other for a really long time. Like I've known Donnell since before the Chappelle show because he used to live in Brooklyn. And so I actually used to um, promote a comedy night at the Boston Comedy Club with Mark Leobald, who works with Tracy Morgan, and he writes for The Last OG, and with Dean Edwards, who was on Saturday Night Live, and with Todd Lynn, you know, who has, who unfortunately passed away. And so I've met a lot of comedians, like early on in their career. And Donnell was somebody that I met, and I thought he was so funny when I saw him. It was in Brooklyn at this place called Two Steps Down. And also was really cool with Patrice O'Neill as well. And so, that's how I first met Donnell and then I would see him out and about. And then we would like hang out all the time. And I just thought he was fun. Like we hosted an um, online hip hop award show together too back then. And so that was something that they individually booked us for. So we ended up coming together to do that. And then, you know, every time he would hit me and be like, yo, I have a show, come out. I would always go bring my friends. My friends all loved him. I used to watch his stand up special over and over and over and over again. I had the DVD back then that I, I knew every word. So. You know, I appreciate Donnell. And so he is like my brother. He gets on my nerves and he's like very, um, he's like very ADD and neurotic, but you know, <laughs> he's funny though. And I like that he is very off the cuff funny. When you go see him perform, he can, like, I like when people don't stick to the same set all the time and he can like, you know, go away from that and kind of riff with the crowd and talk about current events and things that are happening. So I think that's important for comedians to always be like working on, you know, what they have uh, and and perfecting their show. So what um, we just want to ask you, you know, I know that Breakfast Club is taped and people get to see it, but do you have um, aspirations, not aspirations because you can do it. Do you have goals or intentions or plans to do more television stuff? You know, truthfully, I'm more like, I really want to do more things behind the scenes. And so that's kind of my goal. But if I do anything else, it will be something that I create. And that's really what I do want to do. So I have a couple of things that I've been working on. And one thing that I do love, though, is I love like home improvement shows. Okay. And so... Um, I'm in the process of starting a business with brownstones in Brooklyn where we help people fix up their brownstones. And so I want to figure out how I can do something as it pertains to that. And, uh, and I know we've been talking about real estate too. And so I myself am like trying to get another property right now. So, you know, trying to work everything out. Hopefully it's going to be a done deal. And so that's just something that like I'm so interested in. And I, I only want to do things that I really, really care about because then I think it really shows in the project. But a lot of stuff that I do is um, 
I feel like a lot more entrepreneurial things that I want to do as far as opening businesses. And so that's kind of where my heart is at right now. And if there's a way that I can do those things and then have TV supplement it, that would be really dope to me. You have a real estate, you do real estate workshops. No, I've never did. I don't, you know, what's crazy. I don't consider myself like a real estate expert at all because I also feel like the way that I do things is different than how other people might do them. And I can give anyone advice. Like if you ask me, especially if you're in Brooklyn or in New York, I'm pretty good with knowing what goes on with that. And in Detroit, like obviously I have a couple of properties in Detroit also, and I'm really good at knowing how to uh, fix up a house and how much things should cost and what materials you should be using because I did it at the juice bar that we have. I did it for the house that I bought here. I did it for two houses in Detroit. So it's something that I've had so much experience with that I could walk into a house and know exactly what needs to be done and I enjoy it. And so I'm more into like the uh, rehab part of it. And really like Ida, what I want to do is make sure that I'm set up for life after you know, radio so that I can live comfortably forever and have this income, passive income coming in, which means, you know, having a few properties that I don't want to be, I don't want to own like hundreds of properties and do all of this. I want to have some really nice ones that bring in some income to me that I don't have to do too much as far as maintenance on that, because there's other things I'm passionate about when it comes to starting businesses. And I even think with this pandemic now, Real estate has always been such a short thing, but it is hurting a lot of people right now that have a lot of properties where people can't pay their rent and now people are having problems paying their mortgages. And this is just something we never thought would happen. Right. You know, the reason why I, I wanted, I talked to you about doing workshops, like basic 101, what are some of the things to look at for, um, in terms of real estate for women of color who come from like lower income, you know, realities, because, when you think about when you start paying attention to the people who do real estate that are on television, it feels intimidating. It yeah. feels, you know what I mean? They feel like you got to have $10 million to start. Oh, no. Yeah, no, not at all. When I bought my first house, let me tell you something. I was like, I had to scrape up the money to put down the down payment. I think that's the hardest part, really, is putting down the down payment. Mm -hmm. And what really helped me a lot was getting pre-approved so I knew what I could afford. And I really didn't know, like I could guess like, okay, I need to buy a house that costs this much. But once I got pre-approved, the bank will tell you, this is what we'll approve you for. And that's how you know what you can afford. And so that helped me out a lot, you know, as far as doing that. I didn't know about mortgage insurance. You know, there was a lot of things that I wasn't aware of. And so, and the closing costs, I had no idea closing costs were that expensive and you had to have that money. I had to borrow that money from my dad to close it. I had enough money to put down, but then for the closing costs, I was like, damn, I'm short a little something. And so, you know, it was, I think it's a learning experience, but I also know that every city is different too. And so what works in, in Atlanta might not work in Brooklyn, which might not work in, you know, Patterson, New Jersey, where MV buys a lot of properties at. So I just think that you have to really go with somebody who's an expert. I even find that people come from Manhattan who are realtors in Brooklyn and really don't understand the different neighborhoods in Brooklyn so well. So I just really believe in going with somebody who's really familiar with an area instead of somebody that's just trying to sell you something. You have properties in Detroit and in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. What made you say, I'm going to Detroit? So I have a lot of history with Detroit, but in particular, like I'm there a lot already. And it was a good investment. I was in Vegas. It was the iHeart Festival and I was watching CNN and there was an author on and he had written a book about investing in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And 
then I started doing some research because I was I was for some reason like I was I remember they had like in Vegas, you know how they had like the TV in the mirror in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm getting ready and the TV's on and I'm like really thinking about it. It was for some reason just stuck in my head and I believe in like signs. And yeah. so even if it's like something happens and it sticks in your brain and you had already been thinking about it and then you go in the bathroom and it's on the TV and then, you know, you look online and it, I know that Google knows everything you're doing, but then it pops up on your Google. And so I started just doing some extra research on it and finding out about all the different opportunities. And I just love Detroit. It's such a, a city with such a rich history. It's such a black city. Like I love that all these black owned businesses and restaurants and Motown and Motor City. I think it's just so much culture. The airport is amazing. And I always look at neighborhoods that are being built up. That's one thing I tell people, you might feel like I can't afford to buy anything in LA. I can't afford New York, but I can afford to buy something in Detroit or I can afford to buy something in Charlotte, you might have to look in different neighborhoods. And if you have the means to do so, maybe you should pick up and move and start a business. I know people who have come from New York and started businesses in Detroit that are doing really well because they couldn't afford to do it here, but then they were able to go there and do it. And you can really thrive and prosper somewhere else where there's a lot of opportunities available. You, so you always, uh, it's so sensible sometimes. It's like, sometimes it's so sensible that people are, they think it's, it's out of reach, but it's like, it's not even that hard. Right. So you have businesses, you have, you have real estate. What else do you want to do besides produce some television shows? Are you going to, you need to, you need, you have to share your, your entrepreneurial gifts with women. Cause. <laughs> well, I do love writing. You know what I really want to do is I really want to help somebody who is going to be like the next, you know, radio personality, TV personality interviewer, and help them kind of like mentor them to hone their skills to get in a position to do that. So things like that matter to me. There's this young girl, her name is DJ TJ, and I have her like DJ a lot of stuff for me. She did lip service, my birthday party, you know, fresh out of college, and she's really, really dope. And so, you know, she's somebody that I want to make sure. And right before all this happened, we were like planning to go to lunch and, you know, sit down and talk about things. I made sure I introduced her to people. She did my bowling party. You know, I just want to see like who's next, because I think it's so important for us to not try to hold on to these positions forever and think about like, who are we passing the baton to next? I wanted to ask you about the pandemic because you have been busier during the pandemic. <laughs> I'm like, every time I look up, I'm like, she is always doing something. Mm -hmm. How have you, what are some of the things that you've done during the pandemic to get through this time, which is, it's, it's, it doesn't matter how famous, how rich you are. Coronavirus is something that's real for all of us, right? And so I, I, I went live with you and you were in your, we did a, you, a pajama live and you had to get up at five in the morning. And we were talking about how you cope with coronavirus, but that was in April. Mm -hmm. So now here we are in July. Like some, what are some of the things that you have done to help you get through this moment where that might be able to help somebody who like, cause they obviously love you. You know, so it's funny because I had no idea this would last this long. And so when it first happened, like, I remember going home and being like, okay, you know, I was kind of excited to be able to be at home because I didn't know how serious it would be. Right. So I was like, oh, cool. I don't have to go into the office for it. Like I was actually, I, know, I don't get to be home like that. And so things were kind of slower at first. I was at home. I remember I cleaned out like all of the cabinets in my kitchen, something I don't think I've done since I moved into my house 
six years ago. Like I clean up, but I've never like taken every single thing out and clean every, so I did that. And then I was like cleaning every single area of my house. And I got the paper shredder out. I was shredding old paper. I was doing everything in my house because I think the first thing that I did was try to make my space clean and comfortable. and do things that I haven't had the thorough cleaning, I haven't had the opportunity to do. And that really did help me a lot. And I'm glad I did that early on because when my house is cluttered, my mind is cluttered. And so I was just uh, happy to have done that. And then the next thing I was was doing is spending a lot of time online looking at real estate because we couldn't go see anything in person. So that's when I really started doing like all kinds of research. And like I have all these alerts on my phone in different neighborhoods. So when things go for sale, when things sell, when things come on the market, I'm always like, you know, on my phone, I get so many alerts every day just about that. Um, Then another thing I did was I made a, I had this uh, blackboard in my house and, and I put it in my house because in my head, like I was like, this is gonna help me be organized, but I never had really used it and it's been there for years. So now every single day, like I update my to-do list on the blackboard and it helps me so much. And then I made plans of things that I really wanted to implement and followed up on some things that I had kind of let fall by the wayside. You know, I have this pressed juice company called Drink Fresh Juice and we're about to put it back out again in a couple of weeks actually. And so this time around, like we had such an amazing plan and my team of people that we put everything together. We're gonna be in supermarkets. We did a great partnership that I'm about to announce. And so I did that. And then I think also what really helps you is helping other people. And so I've made sure that during this time, there's so many different people, like I might be online looking at somebody or uh, somebody, a friend of mine that might have an organization and I might be like, let me just donate some money to this. And let me just, you know, hit her up and see if I could support in any way. And so I think that's one thing that has really kept me sane is being able to support other people because, you know, selfishly like that really helps you when, and that's something that has been a practice of mine whenever I'm feeling like a little depressed or whenever I'm feeling like uh, just not happy, I'm like, let me do something for somebody else. And that always has made me feel like a little happier. So somebody just said, this show is one of my quarantine coping methods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what I was gonna ask you, are you watching anything? Have you, have, what have you been watching? What have you been reading? Like people want to know what's inside. Cause you, you do all the interviewing, you do a lot of the questions and people are always wondering about you. So what are you reading? What are you watching? Well, I love Insecure. So mm-hmm. I was sad when that ended <laughs> for the season. Um, I, I watched Black AF and I know a lot of people didn't like that but I did really enjoy that show and find it funny. <laughs> You know, it took me a minute to get into it, like, but after the first couple of episodes I did, okay, Guilty Pleasures, 90 Day Fiance, that is my show. And I think that show is so funny. I'm sorry, like, um, I'm trying to think, oh, I watched um, Little Fires Everywhere. I haven't finished it. Is it, does it, is it uh, gratifying at the end? Did it? Yeah, I thought it was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, what else did I watch? Um, that, like, especially in the beginning, I feel like I kind of slowed down on the TV because I was watching so much TV and I was watching the news a lot, like MSNBC and CNN. I feel like I was watching that all day, every day that I had to kind of slow down on it because <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, this is a lot for me right now. So I still watch it. I try to make sure like I watch it in the morning and then, you know, at night when I get in bed, I put it on and then I'm like, okay, that's enough, you know, but um you know, I watched a lot of movies. I watched The Platform. Did you see that on Netflix? Is it good? 
Yeah, it's good. I watch scary movies, so I love horror movies. What's and, the platform? Um, it's a movie that it's hard for me to explain it to you, but you kind of have to see it. But it is about um, it's about capitalism. When you break it down, it's oh. really disgusting. Oh, I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you like horror movies, like I, I have that um, that app Shutter. And it has all these horror movies on it. So when I'm at home and I'm trying to pick a movie to watch, like nine out of ten times, I'm gonna pick like a random horror movie. Oh, nice. And I like to uh, you, uh, we like scary movies over here. We went to the drive-in to watch. Um, what was that movie? Uh, oh, I forgot. It just it didn't work at the drive-in. The drive-in that's too much. That's too much. You <laughs> now you looking around trying to make sure you buy the woods and stuff. Um, I was going to ask you, have you read anything? Have you been reading anything? Yeah, you know, I'm always reading. First of all, I have so many books in my house that I haven't read yet. So I have been catching up on that. And I've been also rereading like old books. I've been reading some Zora Neale Hurston. Things hit different, like when you get older and understand it more, because there's books that I had to read, like their eyes were watching God. And when I was younger, I read it and then I read it now. And it's like a completely different book to me yeah. than it was when I was Sula, Toni Morrison's book, that's that book for me. Like, I remember reading it younger and just being like, oh, and then now I re read it and I was like, wow, this is a powerful book. And yeah, and I like, I love autobiographies and things like that. I read Diamond Doris. She's like a di international diamond thief. Um, <laughs> I read Michael Arsenault's book, you know, I Don't Want to Die Poor. And I think he's hilarious. I really enjoy his writing. Um, when I'm at home, I have to like look at my bookshelf to be like, okay, which book did I read last? I read Tina Turner's book. How was that? It was good. It was cool. I went to see the play too before everything shut down. I took my mom. She's like a huge Tina Turner fan. So it makes me feel closer to my mom when I do things like that. You're always doing things that I see to be exciting. Like you're very adventurous um, <laughs> and you, you love to travel. And, you know, me and Shantae Wayans, took a trip to New Orleans to go to celebrate your birthday with you because we were like, we want, I want to celebrate Angela's birthday. I didn't birthday. want you to leave. I don't want to leave. I did not want to leave. And to this day, I think like what, I'm, I'm, I've been so um, driven by fear for so long that my, that's why I gravitated towards uh, different people now that inspire me to live like authentically and live out loud. And you're one of those people. Cause I've, I'm like, why am I like, why do I have to be locked down? I don't have to be like, I'm free. I can go do whatever I want to do. My kids are grown. Like I got to do whatever I want. So you're one of those people that makes me say, go do that voice in my head. Like get on the plane. Oh. I told you, I was like, cause like, you know, I'll invite you anywhere I go to. I'm like, oh, come out. And then I thought maybe you really were going to come, but you know, I guess you couldn't make it this time. But next time, as soon as, you know, we feel safe and able I'm definitely like, and you're a cool uh, partner to be on the road with. Oh, I love to have, I mean, I, I like to have been, you know, I, I've gone uh, zip lining by myself in Mexico. I bungee jumped. I went rock climbing in Yosemite. Like, I love that kind of stuff. And so what kind of fear are you talking about? <laughs> no, it's not. Like, you know, I live in fear, but I did go rock climbing, bungee jumping. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was like, maybe I would tell you about five, uh, five six years ago, Tiffany and I went to Cabo. We were out in the, in the middle of the ocean. You know where they say, don't pass these things. We went way past them. We were like, just. I can't, I can't swim. So I live in fear of that. Do you, but you are, you love, you went to Jamaica recently. Yeah. 
No, I was supposed to go to Jamaica and then we didn't end up going there. I ended up going to go see to um, that's when I went to Ohio. Oh, to see the comp. How was that? It was great. It was such a great experience. Honestly, like you need to go out there. Well, I'm you can't enough for uh, Dave Chappelle's comedy camp, but I will be one day. <laughs> no, you, I trust me. You definitely a thousand percent. He would love to have you. That was great. So, and I um, those I, I, I always think about some things, and then I'm like, nah, I ain't asking that on here because I, I this I have to compartmentalize my stuff that I ask you in real life, and then the stuff that you know we ask online because we know how people are. Right. So, with, um, if you were um to be done tomorrow, like logic is, what would you want people to say about you? Um, I would want people to say <laughs> that they appreciate the fact that I was prepared and professional and supportive. And you know what? That's the main thing, like supportive. I love the fact that there's people that are in their careers now that can say, oh, Angela really helped me out a lot when I was first getting started. That's a big deal to me. And that means the most to me. And that's how I want to be thought of as. I want to say thank you for coming to join me because I know you're busy because I follow you on social media and you are um, you always have something going on. And I, I think it's important for people to receive their flowers. And I don't I, you know, the, the I haven't known you for a bunch of years, but you've always been authentic and genuine and always willing to help somebody. And I that is a very hard thing to come about in this business because it's so driven by insecurity and people are scared that if they help somebody else that it might, you know, I don't know. It just it, it, it's just you're always talking about how to do something and help somebody. Yeah. That, listen, that's the best thing that you can do for your own karma, too. You know, if, if somebody asks me to do something and I can do it, I will do it. So my friends that are really close to me would tell me that I'm way too nice all the time. Yeah, I don't ever really expect anything in return. Like, if you ask me, like, yo, can you? Do? I'm like, all right, cool, let me see. And if I could just do something, like, why wouldn't I? Why, why wouldn't anyone do that? That I think that is what would make the world an amazing place if you just helped other people just because you could, if you had the means to do so. Yes, I appreciate it. Relic was the movie I went to see at the drive thru. Oh, yeah. Relic? Yeah. I don't think I saw that one. Uh -oh, the last one I watched was like some alligators. I can't remember what it was called. But I think it was, was it in New Orleans? I can't remember where they were, but they were these alligators and the whole city was flooded and she went to go find her dad who was passed out in the basement and the alligators were trying to eat them up. <laughs> and then I watched the movie In the Tall Woods. That one was, you know, it's hard to make a really, really good horror movie. I'll say that. Like, uh, no. we, we write in one over here. Oh, you are? Yep. Oh, yep. that's exciting. So Tanya said, I always admire your strength to work between two black men. I know that's not easy. God bless. <laughs> Girl, it's not. Thank you. <laughs> For all of us. Uh, the comments all here are positive. Nobody was here. Uh, nobody that comes here comes here to hate. But I just thought it was important to have you on because your voice is important. And I think that as you sit there and you bring us into the worlds of all the, the, the people who come through the breakfast club, People need to understand the treasure that you are and support you and educate themselves on what you do, because what you do goes far beyond just doing interviews on the radio. So that's a big deal. 
I appreciate you, Ida. You know, I look up to you so much and it's amazing to me. You know how sometimes you like can't believe that you know somebody personally? That's so. not true. Me and Shantae had this whole like uh, sit down after New Orleans and we're like, she really is who she says she is. <laughs> Shantae is so funny to me. Yeah, she is. And she's like so friend. random. I just think of her in New Orleans sleeping on the floor in the living room. Just yeah. Like She's so she remember she tried to get us murdered in that hotel. That was I was like, like all murdered, not me. <laughs> no, she had me in this first 48 hotel, and I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, but I do want to say thank you. I appreciate you. I love you in real life, and I want to see you continue to soar. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you in real, real, real life. So, and we're gonna take an amazing trip. I can't wait. I'm I'm putting it together now. Yeah, I'm going. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody for joining us today. Um, we appreciate y'all. And thank you so much for the Angela Yee love. Um, if you, you go follow her and go follow what she's doing. Um, sometimes you learn by example and just watch her move and constantly make things happen. That's how uh, your world changes. And so make sure y'all donate to Ida's show, okay? I see the cash app. I'm about to do it right now. Make sure y'all go on there and donate. You <laughs> it's important. It is. They love y'all. Um, all right. So we'll see you. Uh, I'll see you in New York in September. Okay. Love you. I love you too. I'll talk to you soon.